0: God had to turn me upside down in the fact that he actually knew more than I did um, and that there was just going to be things that happened that I couldn't explain in my analytical brain. And I've seen them many times, but that happened to be one. And I was in the room and it was unexplainable. It was coming from nowhere. It was unearthly is the only word I have for it. It wasn't anything you could even explain, but the response was worship. The Profile with Premier Christianity Magazine.
1: Today on the show, we're welcoming Jen Johnson. Jen is president of Bethel Music in Redding, California, and co founder of Bethel Music School. She's a musician, songwriter, singer, and speaker. Her hits include Goodness of God, In Over My Head, and God I Look to You. She's married to Brian Johnson, and together they lead worship at Bethel Church. They have five children and are committed to raising healthy families, cultivating community and fostering unity among Christian leaders. Jen, welcome to the show. Thanks. Glad to be here. So you're the the co-founder of Bethel Music. Tell me about how that worship movement got started.
0: Brian and I uh, were married in the year 2000. And shortly after that, they, at Bethel, his dad, Bill, they transitioned worship and uh, invited us to take over, and I was eighteen. Brian was like twenty-one or twenty-two, and um, so we were we prayed about it and and we said yes. And then from there, you know, just going through and really following the vision that God had given us of kind of where to take it. And um, over the years, people started coming, and songs started being written, and we originally went with another label because we had songs and obviously it was, God was doing something. And then, um, that label actually went bankrupt. And so then we were like, okay, right. And just prayed about it. And, uh, with one of our friends and we were like, I think we need to start something ourselves. Um, and it, in a big way, it was because a lot of the industry, um, the demand of the artists on the road and, you know, just the, the lack of what felt like their commitment to having artists be connected to local churches just wasn't there. It was your life on the road and studios. And um, and so in a big way, we started what we did because we knew there had to be a better way for people to be planted in church and also um, have healthy families and not live their lives away from them. And, um, and so that became kind of one of the biggest driving um motivators for what we why we started Bethel music as a record label um but in a big way it was just to have a container to hold what was happening with the songs and the people coming for what God was doing um and so that's how it has started and just more people came and it's still to this day I mean we just had our um our worship school for the I think 24th year uh and it, every single year I don't know how but it just gets better and it's incredible so we're definitely in the afterglow of that worship school yet again this year it was profound and powerful so um yeah it's it's been a wild ride it's been um there's been hard times and but i mean looking back on it it's it's been worth it because it's just incredible to see what god's done
1: what you when you when you talk about hard times what kind of can
0: you give me some examples of some of the difficult stuff you've been through oh man how much time do we have this could be a (laughs) more than an hour but I think relational dynamics and working with creatives has been, you know, just really difficult. Honestly, um, creatives takes one to know one. Uh, we're very emotionally wired and we're, we're very, um, in a good way, just very sensitive. And so it, it's taken a lot. And then I think one of the hugest missions for us is community and taking care of each other like they did in the Book of Acts. Um, where we don't just hire someone because they're a great songwriter or an anointed worship leader. Like we take their family on. And if you go through something, we're there for you. And we care about your kids and we care about your marriage and we care about your time off more than how much you're working. And, you know, I think that those healthy thriving family aspects of who we are is almost one of the, as big as the songs or anything else we're doing on a musical side of things is we really just want to love people well. And then the local church just being connected and being there every week, whether we're leading worship or not, you know, for home. So, yeah, I think there've been a lot of challenges, even with with that. Like, how do we do what we're supposed to do and travel and write and also be home? You know, that's that's a juggle. There's no balance to it at all. That's a, a huge juggle. That's been really difficult. Um, and then I think for our family, for actually for our children um it's it's been really difficult to juggle it and have the life that we do and and to have normal and consistent and um be away from them um when they can't go or or so on and so forth so but yeah there's there's a long list <laughs> yeah
1: i can imagine i i love what you're saying about um you know loving people and caring for families because i think um certainly you know with, with a, lot, a lot of the scandals that we're seeing in the church um often I think people can feel Christians can feel like they're um they, they get used up you know they're kind of like a resource to be used and then just discarded it sometimes so I think the fact that you're that you're holistically looking at the, the person and wanting that to be part of your DNA is really important was that there at the beginning or was that something that developed over time
0: I think it, it was there, I think, because both Brian and I grew up in small churches in little towns in California. And, you know, community was a big part of it, just in the nature of having a small church that wasn't on the radar, necessarily. And, and we lived we lived very communally, not like, you know, hippies on the same property, necessarily, like that far in, which I'm like, I'm also down for that. I kind of have that now with my parents on my street and friends and, you know, I've got to, but we don't wear matching clothing or cook together. So, but um, I think that that aspect of the love of taking care of people who you love, who are not just your biological family and looking for the one, um, not just in the church, but outside the church as well. I think that's always been something that both Brian and I grew up with that we continued and fostered and have grown. Um, But managing that and actually caring for a really huge team has been really difficult. But I think that we have a really beautiful pastoral team, um, especially for our local guys, that that's been a life change for me to have the care shared so broadly and kind of everybody feel like they're covered. Um, because it's, it's definitely a heaviness to feel like, oh my gosh, I have to care for all these people. And that's been a, a, a an emotional journey. I've, uh, I've probably um, taken on myself outside of God's <laughs> grace, um, way more than I should have, but that, that is a difficult thing of, um, just loving people and, and, and caring for them. But I think team is the, the key to that for sure. Mm-hmm.
1: You talked about caring for for people that aren't in your own immediate family. And I wanted to ask you a little bit about your uh, your adoption, because a couple of years ago you adopted two little boys, didn't you? Um, Yes. Tell me about how. Yeah. How did that come
0: about? So we um, we had our three biological kids and we thought we were done and we were our youngest son was um, nine or ten at the time and we were watching a show actually and out of nowhere God spoke to us like I have this gift for you if you want it and you know anytime God offers you something you're like I'm crazy to say no to this but it really was a supernatural moment for both of us and we prayed about it and God really had confirmed it as well and and so we sat our kids down and, and told them that God had spoken to us and that we were going to adopt. And they were so happy, crying, laughing, running around the table. I think there's a video on Instagram uh, somewhere of it, but um, it changed our life. And so we adopted our son, writer Moses, and then we thought we were done again. And then it was actually our kids in a conversation um a couple years later that were like I think we need to adopt again and my husband and I were like oh wow and then it was like we got the bug like we just were like I think this is right and so we jumped in again um and we adopted Malachi Judah so um they've just been the dream of our hearts all of our kids are so madly in love with them and it they they were just running around my office about 10 minutes ago before I jumped on um but they, it's they amazing were... that, you, that you sort of went back to the, after having had your children then went back to the
1: whole – because I'm in that stage at the moment, you know, young kids, sleepless nights, nappies, yes. all the rest of it. It's amazing that after you had done that, you had the courage to go back there.
0: That's when you know it's God, right? You're like, okay, Lord, you you know. And and I remember sitting at my kitchen uh, bench counter and, and just telling God before we decided to adopt Malachi or second – and God, do you want me to adopt another baby? And I just heard the Lord with a smile on his face and a wink go, I think that'd be a great idea. And I was like, oh my gosh, again, okay, here we go. But just, you know, it's been perfect. And the way it's completed our family, the way it's tucked us all in, um, having three, you know, teenagers, my daughter's uh, married and and uh, with her husband, so, but just to have how it's tucked our family in again is has been really precious so but didn't see it coming for sure (laughs) the two the two little boys they're they're biracial aren't they Mm -hmm. in
1: terms of their their heritage Does, does that lead to some interesting conversations
0: yeah and it's been beautiful we've gotten a lot of wisdom on kind of how to navigate all of it but they both from birth in all of our conversations, they both know that they were adopted and that there was um, very special ladies that they were in their tummies and that mommy and daddy were in the room when they were born um, because those, you know, they weren't able to, to care for them. And so they needed to find mommies and daddies who could care for them and be in their family. So we've we've I think the the adoption story of Moses in the Bible has actually been incredibly helpful because. You know the mommy couldn't take care of the baby and so she you know put the baby in the basket to to find another mommy who could take care of the baby i think that story has really um clicked for them in a, a sweet way um but yeah kind of as they get older the more conversations happen but um it's it's been really sweet so far and there hasn't been any like you know negative side of it so but but wild conversations ahead i'm sure as we talk more. <laughs> Do you
1: in the whole of that process, and and forgive me if this is too personal a question, but did you do you ever did you ever feel in that process kind of because with with adoption, I always wonder like that whole thing of like you said, being the the mummy that can look after the child, can it can take them on, can it, you know, has the resources, et cetera, whatever those resources might be. Do you ever look at it in a kind of a systemic a systematic way and kind of think, actually, rather than being the ones to help the baby that needs, that needs a family. What about doing something on the structural level levels about poverty that leads to these problems? Did, did, did those kind of thoughts ever go through your mind? And it's quite a difficult question to answer, but I just wondered if you thought about that at all.
0: Yeah. I think that, you know, just again, back to loving people, how do we help and love people? Um, we can't do everything for everyone and we can't meet every need out there. And I think um, I have a song called For the One, actually, that's really about that. Like, it's about like, you know, who and how am I supposed to be involved, especially with social justice of any kind, helping people? I think that um, social justice is a a pretty broad term that kind of gets interesting, definition to it sometimes, but in the simplest form, I think like outside of the people that it's very obvious in my life, my family, my close friends, my like who and how do I help Uh, people and how do I help bring Jesus to people and what does that look like I think that that's a very personal journey for every person that that we all need to go on and at the end of the day I think we have to ask the Holy Spirit who and how and he's so kind to lead us in our city at the grocery store at the supermarket to um on way bigger levels some maybe even judicial or involving ourselves um in areas that we wouldn't actually even think to do but I think that like everyone's called. I mean, even the Bible says like true worship is caring for widows and orphans. I mean, that's in the word of God. <laughs> like There it is, you know, so we can spend our days in church and are, you know, doing the things. But at the end of the day, I think that there's some pretty beautiful keys in the Bible of even how to live a life of worship that are outside of, you know, the, the obvious ones like that. So, um, yeah, I think the simple question of just Lord, who and how. Um, every so often in your life um, for me, you know, will we adopt again? I don't know. I think that that's an insane thought, but this summer I was actually in our worship school a few weeks ago and I just heard the Lord said like kind of this Isaac moment, like, would you do it again? And I'm like, Oh God, you know, my answer is yes. But what? <laughs> you know, so uh, you know, um, but I think that's the heart that God's looking for is that, that heart of like, you know, um, Darlene check years ago, she, she was teaching in, she was with us in Reading and, um, and she said, she actually titled her album, Hineni, uh, which in the Greek or Hebrew means my answer is yes, before you even ask. And it was actually before God told us to adopt and actually on the heels of that word, uh, for the Lord, it was like our adoption request, like Lords that I have this for you. And like, my answer is yes before you even ask kind of um, met each other in this beautiful way but I think that's the heart that God's looking for in us is that like anything anywhere anytime like my answer is yes before you even ask Um, and then he just has surprises along the way like these two cute little boys that make us nuts but we're madly in love with (laughs) we talk a bit about
1: worship and how 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 do you go out there and worship in front of thousands of people when you've got real challenges and difficult seasons in your personal life? How do you how do you manage that?
0: You know, I think that it's very real, and you know, sometimes you just are having an absolutely terrible day, and you get up there, and I think that the motto that we go by here a lot is that worship is a lifestyle, and whether I'm home changing diapers, snappies, um, or I'm leading on a big stage of thousands of people that it's all the same because it's all worship to God. It's my heart. It's my life. It's my attitude. It's my everything. Um, It's not just music. Worship is definitely not just music, right? Um, And so I think that's a big mindset that helps to frame what is and what isn't. And I think that, you know, there's there's something that God's looking for in honesty for sure. Like if I'm, you know, my husband's mom passed away a year ago and, you know, we are a a church and a movement that believes in healing and we've seen it and we've lived it. And, you know, we've also lived through massive loss and mystery of like, what in the world? Why, you know, how, and just surrendering that to God. But we've led worship through the absolute lowest days of our lives and still, you know, some people just don't. And, you know, I I don't think there's a right or wrong answer, but I think for me, like anchoring myself in songs of the absolute unchanging timelessness of God and who he is, no matter what I think or expect. Experience or feel, those songs in worship and those declarations and those spontaneous moments of who God is, um, it really gets our sights off of our circumstances and even what's going on or what we're experiencing to the higher truth of who he actually is regardless. And, and so, you know, there's a new song we just um, released last year called Holy Forever. And it's just one of those songs that just transcends anything that's going on to, to speak who God is um, outside of time and space. And I think it's just a song where you just, you know, find yourself getting caught up in that. And um, even like we titled our, our last Bible music album, come up here. And it's out of revelation four and the verse says, come up here and I will show you what to do next. And, and I think that's in any good day, bad day, of my life like that is such an anchoring thought because what i experience and feel and think on earth isn't necessarily what's happening in the spirit realm and so my constant journey in battle is just to stay connected and that's hard that that sounds beautiful but when you've got really tough stuff happening in life like i and you and everyone does right now um it's honest and it's real and it's not easy and we don't live in this you know world all the time like i Pride, you know, like this week over something really difficult happening with my kids and, you know, like life is real and life is life and Brian's other grandma is, you know, potentially nearing her end of life and um, it's tough like life is really tough. Um, but God is the same and he's in it with us like he's not just this higher up here, um, you know, being he's also right in the middle of
1: it it sounds like you've got a very strong faith was that something you you developed over years did you grow up in a christian family tell, tell me a bit about how you became a christian
0: yeah i i grew up in a christian family my parents um my dad had an encounter with god uh, right after i was born actually they were they grew up in christian homes as well um but uh a really beautiful upbringing. My childhood was amazing. I love my parents. Um, Nothing's perfect, right? But um, we had a great church connection. We had Bible study in our house um, every week. And just I look back on my childhood. I have a brother and a sister. And I just look back on it like we had a great childhood. And then I moved to Reading when I was um, like 17, 18 to go to school of ministry. Um, just so hungry for more of God. And, um, and so I, I moved there because I had heard um, Brian's dad uh, speak and a few other people from Bethel. And I just, I was like the sound and the hunger and the tribe that these people are like that, we, I feel that like, these are my people, you know, and even my, my parents ended up selling everything they owned um and we all moved to reading together just so hungry for the more of god and whatever that looked like and um then i ended up marrying into the family so i <laughs> didn't see that coming um but uh so we've been married now for uh 20 almost 24 years going on 24 years so um but yeah it it's been wild and incredible but i definitely came from good roots mm-hmm.
1: You've been, you've been a Christian for quite a long time. So unfortunately that also means you've probably lived through quite a lot of various different scandals in the church. I think a lot of Christians these days, Christians I speak to are feeling quite despondent, quite discouraged by, you know, the various scandals. How do you remain hopeful and positive in that kind of context? And what do you say to people that are feeling despondent about their faith?
0: I think that it's, it's real, you know, it's, and it's sad. um, And, those people that are, you know, having the failures and they're human and it doesn't excuse sin. Sin is sin. Um, anger is sin. I struggle with that Patience lack of patience. Like I got a long list of, um, and so being a leader is really difficult and there's a lot of pressure. It, it can oftentimes feel lonely. It's amazing. It's a gift. I, I, I'm very thankful that I've been in leadership for 24, almost five years, Um, but it's difficult a lot of time. And I think something that we really encourage with our team is the power of vulnerability. And I think that both Brian and I, we live that way. We are open books and, you know, I think it is difficult, but I think that there's a lot of times that you feel like if you talk to someone about something that you're going through as a leader that you'll be um, punished. And I think that it keeps things secretive and unhealthy. And I think that the invitation that I hear the Lord saying is we all need help and we don't need secrecy. We need vulnerability. Do you think that,
1: cause you know, obviously in America, you've got this context, you have these really huge mega churches. I mean, you're kind of part of one. And then you've got, you know, your, your label and everything. And it's, it's sort of like a, I don't want to call it a business, but you have got a sort of business as, as part of it. Do do you ever feel that, that the kind of the values and the structures of the business world sort of seep into church culture and church ministry and cause, cause problems?
0: I think that we're crazy to not think that the church is a business because um, it's not a bad thing. I think that if you look at it in the sense of, on paper, you have a staff, you have a janitorial team, you have care workers, you have HR, you know, like, um, obviously, in the sense of like the services and the spirit of God and um, actually having um, the benevolence part of the church and all of the other things, you know, like, there is you can either hate the business of it or you can love the business of it because it's part of it and ask God to lead you in purity. Um, Money is tricky. Obviously the Bible talks about it being, um, you know, not, not um, in high regards as far as like, there's a lot of warning signs for what money can do to you. Um, But I think at the end of the day, it's not something that we need to be afraid of. And um, I had, we had a funny story one time, a, a guy that was with us, for a long time, he had such a hard time with marketing, you know. And it's a very weird thing, especially with worship. Like, we put out these precious, wonderful things for Jesus, but then at the same time, you don't want to post about it because it's like, well, this feels so gross, you know, that I'm selling something I made in intimacy. And Bill said one time, people who sell intimacy are known as a, a name that we, you know, and it's a very, right? Like, you, it, there's not a lot of clear lines in this and um but at the end of the day my prayer and my heart is god let me do this in purity that your name is known that mine is not the one in lights and i think that i think that that's the that's my approach at it but at the end of the day like we can't demonize business like It's part of culture. It's what keeps our lights on and our bills paid and money coming in does matter. And the funniest part about that story is um, that the person that was with us had such a hard time with it actually moved on um, and, and we're still great friends, but left our world to do their own, you know, kind of thing. And then I got a funny phone call (laughs) one day of kind of like, now I'm having to do my own marketing and like, you know like yeah, you're having to post about your own album, good, you know so it it, it is there's again, there's no right answer, but it it is something that is, you know, kind of difficult to navigate, especially out of something so intimate. But I have to remind myself who it's about and who it's for and why we're doing this. and you know, God, God is a father. And just like we are with our kids, we want our kids to be happy and blessed and good people and helping others and, but blessed, like, I don't want my kids to live in poverty. I want my kids to be thriving in all aspects, emotionally, physically, spiritually. And that's how God, our father is with us. And so I think that that approach of like, Well, how do you navigate like money shouldn't we all be poor and give everything we own to the poor i'm like if jesus tells you to do that like he did someone in the bible go for it but until then i think keeping that father's mentality of like i want you and everyone for you to help you know them to come into that level of um yeah being a being a son or a daughter
1: too many of us are living in a bubble and not hearing both sides of the world's important stories it's time for a more rounded perspective. It's time to discover Premier Christianity. Balanced, confident, relevant, faith-filled. Discover fresh biblical perspectives as we bring you wide-ranging stories that impact the church. Discover the go-to source for Christian news. Subscribe at premierchristianity.com. Now only five pounds for three months. Can we just talk a bit about women in leadership? Cause you know, as you said, you've been leading for 20, 20 odd years. Obviously, some people in the church still think that women leaders are not given the same representation opportunities compared to male leaders. Have you ever experienced that in your time?
0: Yeah, you know, I think that I have a I have an interesting dynamic being the daughter-in-law. And funny enough, I think on paper, and I kind of love this, um, I haven't even been on staff at Bethel in a leadership position um, on paper. I've been on all the teams and, and things, leadership teams, but um, maybe uh, hardly ever. I, I think the past couple of years maybe because some, one of our accountants was like, are you ever gonna get paid for like, <laughs> one of the Bethel accountants actually funny enough um, retired and was like, are you ever gonna get paid for anything? <laughs> and I was like, I kinda like that I don't. And it sense You've that been- have never been paid for your, for your work at Bethel. Indeed. On, the Indeed. Church, on the church side on the oh, church wow. side I'd um I yeah I'd never Brian initially like you know he was the one who was hired and I was home with with kids we had we, we got pregnant with our first daughter we found out we are pregnant on our our one year anniversary and so um between all the creative stuff um he was the one in the office mainly and and I was home teaching piano lessons and then had a baby and was just helping with teams and leading worship. And it was kind of an organic thing. It It's nothing I look back on with disdain by any means. Um, but as we took on more and more and more, I, I took on more, but I, I loved it because I, I think serving is really important, especially if you're in the church, like outside of what you get paid to do that you actually serve. I think that's very important. And so it felt like healthy to me and it felt like, um, Yeah, good. It didn't feel negative. I think if I would have asked, and once they found out that I didn't have a paycheck, it became this funny joke, especially after a lot of years. But, um, and I think they, I think they, I honestly don't even know, but I think they might now pay me something, but I just don't care because I'm not like a money person. But um, yeah, it's, I think it's real. I'll, I'll circle back to your question. I think it's real that there has been a struggle and that there is actually a reality of men and women being paid differently that the world is navigating. I think that there's an anger and a bitterness behind it. That's very unhealthy, no matter what the facts are. Um, the the movements out there that are very, you know, like, um, even the movies we see coming through of the lack of the need of men and, um, there's some. there's you some about things. Barbie by any chance. <laughs> I would never. I would never. Um, I haven't seen it, so I don't know. But I do know that, that the enemy is on a mission to disqualify um, both men and women. And I think that there is a beauty in both. And I think that there is um, righteousness. And I think that it's not a one size fits all. I think it's case by case. Um and I think there is an incredible value for women and I think there's an incredible value for men. Um Brian has been the, the president of Bethel Music since the beginning and Again, that it was nothing that I i haven't even been on staff at Bethel Music um, either, which is, again, funny. Um, I don't think you need a title to be a leader. Um, I think that a lot of people feel that they do, but I think that leadership's either on your life or it's not, and God will make a way um, when he and how he needs to. Um, I think people get way too title-oriented. Um, and so all that to say it was a few years ago, but Brian was like, I feel like I need to step down as president of Bethel music. And, um, you know, just a lot of years and a lot of, you know, trial and, you know, emotional. And, and so when he, when he said that, um, we were talking with our, our, um, a friend of ours, like, okay, are we done? Like, I don't know what we're going to do because it's, it's gotta be you. And, um, and I prayed and I said, God, what, what do we do? And and the Lord spoke to me and said, I need you to do it. And I need you to take this. And even for a season. Um, and so I was like, okay, great. And so I just told Brian, like, I I feel like I'm supposed to do it. And he was like, great. You know, there was no, even with our whole team, like I, I didn't have any negative. It felt very natural and definitely a God thing. Um, But yeah, I think these are the dynamics that are just tough, you know. But we can either culturally and church wise, we can either, um, you know, live angry and bitter, or we can bring to the table um, things that feel like they're off and unjust, and we can talk through them and work through them civilly to get somewhere good where things have been off culturally. Obviously, in the history of time, there is a lot that has been off culturally any human can look at that and go yeah wow i don't understand how there is slavery in the bible all the way through modern times until slavery was abolished like i don't mentally i can't understand how that existed but it did and there it is um however like here we are and what are we doing about it and how can we heal and move on and i think that's the approach that's helpful i think the anger and the um fighting of it all it gets us nowhere and it divides us further and I think that's what the enemy would love to do is to disqualify and demonize men I I want to make a shirt that says men are wonderful um and just make that culturally as much on the internet as everything else out there right now um I think you might get canceled if you do that Jen (laughs) yeah wouldn't be a first time but I think that like you know that's the Bill says, "I I can't afford a thought in my head that's not in the heart of God. And I think that is my approach on this. Like, God has sons and he has daughters. The end. And we are all that, no matter what culture wants to try to say. At the end of the day, if you treat my son or my daughter in any way above one another or in any way differently, you're going to have something to deal with with me so i think that the approach of god in his kids um and how they're equally celebrated i'm not a man i don't you know i don't carry the same traits i carry different people i have a uterus you know like i i have beautiful giftings and talents and weaknesses and strengths and abilities that my husband doesn't and vice versa. We have a lot that overlap, but there is unique, beautiful difference that God gives you that you need each other. And I think that um, that's how he made us all as humans. That's how we made us as male and female um, to need each other and and, and a dependency. Um, and so when we try to rank uh, one over the other in any, it's a losing war because it's not the heart of God. And so I think that's how we have to put the lens of, of anything through that is yeah have have been things been unequal or maybe culturally appropriate at one time and or accepted not even appropriate and and now we're going hey i think i think this needs to be different now i think that this um needs we need to look at this yeah let's do that but like take the gloves off and take the anger off and um let's have the conversations um Mm -hmm. civilly
1: Wanna just pick up on something you said about anointing. You talked about leadership being an anointing. Do you feel that's something that God has given
0: is over your life? I do. And I I think that I've I felt it since I was a little girl. And I I didn't ever think that this would be my life by any means. I I was planning before I went to school of ministry to go to college to be um, an early childhood educator, a preschool teacher probably was my because I loved kids and um, I taught piano lessons. I think I started teaching when I was like 15 years old um, and I was going to be an aerobic instructor as well because I, I had done the math of the fact that I was going to be fit and people could pay me to watch me work out and that would just make sense uh, financially. So definitely didn't see the life that I live now um, as part of my, my leadership job. But, you know, since I was little, I, I heard a great quote. I, I was known when I was little as being bossy. And um, the quote that I heard was a story of a little girl who came home and she was on a team of like decision making at school and the other teammates called her bossy. And so the mom said, okay, you go back to the, those kids and you tell them, then they're going to decide who's going to do what and you're just going to sit there. Um, and when that was told, it was like, oh, well, okay, I guess you can make the decisions because we don't, you know, so there is a, a a different light of boss put on bossy, you know, you're you're bossy because you're probably leadership, you're probably a boss, you know. Um, and so I, I think that growing up, it was a bit of a negative connotation, maybe a little bit, but really, when I saw the God lens of it, it was like, you know what? by hopefully example, um, you're going to lead. And I think, I think that really became clear in life when I was like in grade school. And I was, I, I just shared this testimony. I think they put it on Instagram from our worship school of, I remember being in grade school and nobody was raising their hands during the little chapel worship time. And I just knew I was supposed to, you know, and Um, and so just really overcoming that fear of man to do what I was supposed to do. And, and by doing that, you know, other people, uh, started raising their hands as well. And, um, so I think that's, that's more of my motto is I know that I've always God given been a leader. Um, I think that if you're a Christian, you are a leader day one, you're leading people to Jesus. So I think the purest form of, I think everyone's a leader. (laughs) I teach that in our worship school. Um, because we're all leading people to Jesus at the end of the day. But I think as far as like a company or a group of people, or I have a very pastoral heart. Um, and so leading leading our teams over the years with Brian um, has felt really natural. But again, I think the title, um, a title is good and, and is healthy and can, can bring clarity. So the fact that I'm the president, obviously there has to be a title there because it means it comes back to me, you know. Um, but I don't think that we need titles a lot. I think we just need to naturally do it and people will, um, either follow or not. So you just mentioned Brian there. and I wanted to ask you a bit about, about your
1: relationship. Cause you've been, if you don't mind, cause you've been married for so long. Um, I wanted to speak specifically about that, about what happened in 2019. Cause Brian's been quite open about that. Hasn't he, you know, having a nervous breakdown and, and sort yeah. of the effect of that. Are you happy to talk a bit about that time and and kind of what caused that and how your faith helped you to navigate that
0: season? Again, just with so many things with ministry and business and artists and emotion and, you know, just constantly, honestly, in a big way, we just felt like we, we had some, these people were our friends, right? Like church and musicians and Worship leaders and team and admin and, you know, we don't hire someone unless we like them, you know, and then they usually become really close friends um, and some best friends. And so when you work with all those people, it just brings a lot of um, dynamics that are difficult. And so I think that, um, you know, between that and also his Brian's personal journey of anxiety and torment, even since he was a a really little boy, he, he shares really openly about how. Um, just this demonic torment would come on him. And the only thing that would kind of get him through it would be worship. And um, so, you know, when he, when he actually went through the nervous breakdown, it was like the torment and life, all of the heaviness of what all the circumstances and situations we were going through. um, It just was like a a bomb went off and he just shut down um, and kind of became a vegetable and, uh, you know, we had three little kids at the time and I, we were in over our head for sure in, in life on paper, but, um, at the same time just felt the nearness of God and felt like we were doing exactly what we were supposed to do. It was just a difficult time, you know? And, um, I remember laying in my bed crying and I just said, God speak to me. And he spoke to me a, a passage, a reference, and I didn't know what it was. So I opened my Bible And it said, and it was in the message Bible I was reading at the time. I grew up NIV and um, King James, and I love the message. I think it's really creative. um, You know, and I think, yeah, there's, I love reading the Bible in a lot of different translations because I think it's beautiful to read different Greek, Hebrew, and interpretations. But anyway, um, the message said, um, the worst is never the worst. And... I it was in Lamentations and um, I appropriate verse for my moment. But what I got from that is, okay. this feels like it's the worst, but it's not going to be the worst. Like this is actually an invitation for a testimony that that you're going to do something in this. And it was during that season that I started writing the song. You're going to be okay. And I actually started the song for a friend of mine and um, then finished it as a life anthem over my husband, over our marriage, over our kids, over, um, and it became a really personal song for our family, Um, you're gonna be okay. But yeah, it it was long days. It was a lot of tears. Our community really surrounded us and like, how can I help you? And uh, I mean, like I would get somebody texting me a verse or a prophetic word like a lot and bringing dinner over. And the power of community I think was pretty beautiful for us in that time. Um, people just coming in to help and hold our arms up. And um, I I think that it was one of the worst times of our life for sure. But looking back on it, um, what God did out of it and through it um, really was beauty for ashes.
1: Did those torment, the demonic torments that you described, is that something that he still still experiences or has that has that gone?
0: In a big way, it's um, it's gone um, he, when we were first married and through his first early years, he would suffer from a lot of spatial anxiety. So airplanes, elevators, things like that. Um, so he'll have moments here and there, but honestly, like rarely does he have something like that. And, um, you know, working with doctors as well for like, and counselors of like, even how to, when this starts happening, when you start feeling these things, here's some practical things you can do and. Um, you know, just he has medication he can take and usually doesn't, but just the fact that he knows it's there so he doesn't go into one if he feels like he's having a panic attack. You know, I, I think that um, I think that that for our, our take, I think everyone's different on, on medicine and um, healing, but I think that no one expects someone to get surgery without anesthesia, you know, I mean, that's just crazy. Um, I know people that do and I, I'll never understand them, But like I've had C-sections and it was every part of God's will that I had anesthesia for my C-sections that I didn't feel my body being cut in half um, nearly. So I think that there are times in life that God gives wisdom to doctors for medication that can help us get through things. But I think that his higher goal for us is to live healthy and free. And um, so, yeah, I think it's it's for every person with what we go through i think it's a, a holy spirit journey of what we're supposed to do i don't think it's cookie cutter by any means um yeah. but but yeah i mean he had he had a, a really tough night um here a few weeks ago but they're definitely like very rare compared to what they were especially when he he's uh, a little boy
1: that's good that's good to hear Before you go, Jen, I just wanted to ask you about these rumors that we hear um, about Bethel, you know, in terms of like the supernatural occurrences, um, the gold dust, you know, the
0: kind of signs and wonders. Is there any truth to those to those rumors? Yeah, you know, I that again, that's probably a long list as well. Um, But for someone who's been here and been a part of the culture for 26 years, I think now maybe more, um, I was in the room um on on one occasion especially of the gold dust and i i've been a christian since i was little i am a realist i am a um i'm analytical i love the holy spirit so that's the joke but um i god had to turn me upside down in the fact that he actually knew more than i did um and there was just going to be things that happened that i couldn't explain in my analytical brain and i've seen them many times but that happened to be one and I was in the room and it was unexplainable it was coming from nowhere it was unearthly is the only word I have for it it wasn't anything you could even explain but the response was worship in the room and it makes me cry because I I can remember being there in that room and it it was glorious and it was a wonder but the response was worship Mm -hmm. and so I think that like, what's the fruit? It's a great question to ask when something like that happens. And the fruit was worship. So um, I really don't care, (laughs) you know, what it was. Um, But I'll never forget the moment and what I felt in that room. And I, I leaned over to a couple people in the room because it was hours it's gone for hours and um during the service and i uh, a couple people were newer to the team and i leaned over to him and i just said you know what i don't i can't explain this i don't i don't get it but i love it you know and um the main the husband leaned over to me he goes you know what the the children of israel probably didn't get the pillar of fire but it was there now wasn't it you know i was like touche you know and so um, you know, we've seen people be healed and we've seen crazy things. I've been healed. My leg was numb after a surgery um, for years. And I've gotten prayer a lot of times. And one Sunday, Bill just called out. that He said, there's a numbness of a leg. And I stood up and got prayer and my leg woke up and has, has not been pinched uh, since since then. That was, you know, over 20 years ago. So um, we've seen it firsthand. We've seen crazy things. We've seen it rain, like literally like misty rain in front of us with no source, like unexplainable things like that, where um, I love the verses as God sits in heaven and, and laughs, you know, he does whatever he wants. But I think that um, I think that God's had to shake out of me um, that I know everything and that I've seen everything, because if I read my Bible for five seconds, there is a lot that I have never seen. And so I think God's looking for our hearts to stay open more than analytical. Um, and you know, you have to eat the meat and spit out the bones. A lot of people make things up and there's a lot of hype in church. Um, but Bill says it best: where there's life in a barn, animals, production, there's a lot of mess, and birth is messy, and you know the rest, you know, <laughs> like. If you want to, if you want order, and you know, you can go to a graveyard and and see that any day. But but there's there's life and mess when you value freedom and risk and the supernatural and going God, if it's you, I want it. You know, um, and so that's how I want to posture my heart um, is to be open versus analytical to the mm-hmm. supernatural.
1: Talking of graves, Jen. yeah we've also heard some very strange
0: rumors about graves yeah you know there's that's one of our most popular um you know what's crazy is that there is a pretty profound bible story about you know somebody laying on bones that's in the bible um and you know that that's that uh I have never and I don't know anyone that I'm close with that has ever um, done that however it's in the bible so that's pretty crazy um but I know my mother-in-law who is the one who gets the obviously she's in heaven now and her and Jesus are partying over over this story but um you know she wasn't weird at all and she wasn't you know but I think that there are mantles mantles are real on people's life and um I think that there's there's a lot of mystery that I won't try to explain, but she's not weird and she wasn't doing anything weird. I think that it's, um, you know, there's something on Joyce Meyer's life that I'm not planning on laying on her grave, but there's something on Joyce Meyer that I am like, Lord, I I want the mantle that this woman carries. I want to be a part of it because she's just been so faithful and so like makes me cry. Um, And so I think that like the desire to walk in and glean from a mantle, that's very biblical. but yeah, no, we don't do that weird stuff.
1: <laughs> um, Jen, there'll be lots of people listening to this interview. What can the Premier family be praying for, for, for you guys, for the Johnsons?
0: Um, you know what? I think that as a family and as a church, um, you know, we just, the, the presence of God and is, is, what we camp around, you know, in the big way, but I think that just doing this healthy and doing this for the long run is something that we really are all just so committed to. And so, just wisdom—I think my biggest prayer is wisdom that we'd hear the voice of God and um, how to do it, and um, that He would just show us what and how, um, not only on the record label side of things for the for Bethel Music. Um, but even in the church, um, that we would just really be led by the Spirit of God, and just for an outpouring, like we just want to encounter God, and we want people to encounter God for themselves. And that's been the mission as long as I can remember: is just people encountering Him in songs, and um, you know, we really we have such a a, a prayer for the global church, not just. The, I think Bethel is part of the body of Christ, probably an armpit, but no, nothing serious. You know, I think that there's a lot of, we really love what God's doing around the world in the global church. And we think that um, we're happy to be a part of that, but yeah, we're probably like a toenail or something. But, um, (laughs) and I just think that like one of our prayers is kingdom come, it's heaven come. And that the earth would look like heaven, that the church would look like heaven, that we would unite. Um, And celebrate the best. Um, Bill says celebrate who someone is over stumbling over who they're not. And I think that our prayer is that we would as the church, the greater church, capital C, that we would link arms and realize our function in this body of Christ that we are with with Jesus as the head to work together to bring people to know him and for us to become like him. And that's the cry and that's the prayer um, I'm sure for you as well. Um, but that's, that's a, that's a big one. Really appreciate you taking the time. I Absolutely. think this interview will really encourage a lot of people. Love it. Find a church. That's my last, my closing words are find a church. Um, don't look for a perfect church. It doesn't exist. Ask God where you're supposed to be planted and go there. And then no matter what happens or who fails, or who does what God called you there, and it wasn't about a person being perfect because that doesn't exist. And if you don't feel called anywhere, maybe you're supposed to start a church. So. You've been listening to The Profile in association with Premier Christianity magazine.